Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right. Man, I love this movie, Hidden Figures. It's a movie, as you can see, uh, about three incredibly intelligent black women who are working at NASA during the space race and also the civil rights movement, same era in the 60s. And it is a true story, and each of the women in the film face challenges um, of being a woman, one, in a man's world, and two, being born with the wrong color of skin, despite their superior intelligence, their ingenuity, and their work ethic. This movie really is about confronting the status quo and breaking down dividing lines across genders and race, but it's also a symbol or a picture or an illustration of the inherent prejudices and the discriminations that actually are all over our world and sadly are far too common even within our own neighborhoods. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to view a few clips from the movie that illustrate some of these evils. And some of them are subtle and others are going to be systemic and blatant, but what we're going to see is these types of things taking place. And then we're going to examine Scripture. And each time we're going to look at a story of Scripture and how it paints a similar picture of that type of discrimination or prejudice or assumption or status quo. And then we're going to see what Scripture teaches about it. And we're going to do that from the best place, which is Jesus. We're going to look at how Jesus reacts in situations like these. And then we're going to see what that message might say to each one of us. And from there, I believe that we're going to see a greater picture that we are called to live in as children of God and as citizens of the kingdom. So in this first clip, we see a lady named Dorothy Vaughn. And Dorothy, who is talking to her supervisor, uh, she is talking to Ms. Mitchell about a potential supervisor position that is available that she's been applying for, and she's trying to get a promotion that she's hoping to receive. But as we're going to see in the clip, the struggles that some of us face, that some face, have nothing to do with their achievements at all, but really have everything to do with those who hold the power to make decisions. Let's take a look. Mrs. Mitchell, if I could. My application for supervisor, ma'am. Was just wondering if they're still considering me for that position. Yes. Well, the official word is no. They're not assigning a permanent supervisor for the colored group. May I ask why? I don't know why. I didn't ask why. We need a supervisor, ma'am. We haven't had one since Miss Jansen got sick. It's been almost a year. Things are working just fine as is. I'm doing the work of a supervisor. Well, that's NASA for you. Fast with rocket ships, slow with advancement. All right, so I watched this clip, and I was like, that's not overly, you know, bad. But then I thought the word that came to my mind was status quo. Status quo. We see this lady who wants a promotion. She, in other parts of the film, you see that she's uh, supervising probably 30 other women and managing them, telling them where to go. She's doing the job of a supervisor. And then she asks her supervisor, why am I not being considered and why are they not having a position? And she says, I don't know why. I didn't ask why. And then she says, that's just the way things are around here. And I thought about status quo. And I think that so much evil is allowed to take place in our world because of status quo. Nobody wants to rock the boat, and I understand that, because if you challenge the status quo, you have a spotlight on you now. You have people who are going to think maybe differently of you, and it's uncomfortable to see something that you don't feel like is right, but it's just accepted, and it's normal everywhere you go. And so that's the world that they were facing, the status quo. And I love this quote from Edmund Burke. 
And I think it's so applicable right here. It says, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is that good men do nothing. I think that's so fitting here when we're talking about status quo. Well, what does scripture say about the status quo? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 21. We have free Bibles here, by the way. If anyone doesn't have a Bible, we have them in the front as well as at our Connection Center. They are free. Do not leave here without a Bible. This is life right here. Also, we have a little little seven-day guide to beginning your journey with Jesus. Or if you just need some freshness in your faith, learning to follow Jesus books, please grab those at the Connection Center as well. Matthew chapter 21, we're going to see Jesus walking into Jerusalem and coming to the temple to worship at a holiday, and it's this verse 12 and 13, and it's what it says. Jesus went into the temple, and he threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he said to them, it is written that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Now, what's happening here? So this was a holiday where people were commanded to come, the Jewish people were commanded to come to to Jerusalem and go to the temple and to worship. And part of the holiday was to offer sacrifices. Now there's parts in the Old Testament that talk about how when, if you couldn't bring a bull or a ram or a sheep, if you were poor, then you could also offer a, a dove or a pigeon or different animals that were more affordable. But over time what happened was is that people would come and they didn't have any money or they kind of forgot or it was last minute. And so people started setting up shops inside the temple courtyard. So inside, as if you walked into our church building, and right in the middle there, you've got stall after stall after stall of people selling things. It's like the mall. It was like walking in, and Jesus comes in and says, what is going on here? Like the status quo was that they devalued the temple of God. They devalued it and made it a place of business. And not just that, it was a place of injustice because these, these vendors were upcharging they were like, oh, this is last minute, and you are uh, 1,000 miles or 100 miles from your home. You can't get back there. Oh, I'm going to charge you three times for the same turtle dove as, as it would have cost you at home or on the way. And so Jesus challenges the status quo immediately, sees injustice taking place, and reacts. So Jesus challenges the status quo. Jesus confronted injustice. He did not allow it to stand. He spoke up. He took action. And as followers of Christ, we are called to hold to the same values as he did and live out those actions in a similar vein. So for us, that means we need to be seeing injustice. We have to open our eyes to see that there is a status quo. And sometimes the status quo is okay for us, but not for other people. That it holds other people back. That it is taking advantage of others. We have to take responsibility. We, as Christians, are called to be representatives of Jesus. It means challenging the status quo and confronting injustice. Now in our next clip, We'll see how the status quo can be both hypocritical and dividing. So this time we're going to see one of the main characters. Her name is Catherine Coleman. And uh, she's talking with a man named Colonel Jim Johnson at a church picnic about her job at NASA and how important her work is. Now, during the clip, we're going to watch. I want you to watch this. The hypocrisy of a black man who is in the military. He's an officer. He is prejudging Catherine, a black woman, working for NASA during his untenable time in our nation's history. Check this out. Mm-hmm. Pastor mentioned you're a computer at NASA. Yes. What's that entail? We calculate the mathematics necessary to enable launch and landing for the space program. <laughs> Pretty heady stuff. Yes, it is. They let women handle that sort of... That's not what I mean. What do you mean? I'm just surprised something so 
taxing. Oh, Mr. Johnson, if I were you, I'd quit talking right now. I mean no disrespect. I will have you know I was the first Negro female student at West Virginia University Graduate School. On any given day, I analyze the barometer levels for air displacement, friction, and velocity and compute over 10,000 calculations by cosine, square root, and lately analytic geometry by hand. There are 20 bright, highly capable Negro women in the West Computing Group, and we're proud to be doing our part for the country. So yes, they let women do some things at NASA, Mr. Johnson. And it's not because we wear skirts. It's because we wear glasses. Have a good day. So you see... Prejudice doesn't just take place within ethnicities. It takes place between genders. It takes place everywhere. And did anybody understand anything she said? <laughs> I heard velocity. I knew what velocity meant. That's all I could get out of it. But the word that came to my mind this time was assumption. Assumption and prejudice. You know, so this gentleman is a black officer in the military. He's a colonel. I mean, that's, no, that's like a high-up ranking position. He's a colonel. And he obviously doesn't think there's a problem with race because he's talking to a black woman of the same color. But he then makes this judgment, this assumption about her because of her gender, because of her as a woman. And he's thinking, oh, well, you know, because he was raised in a way that I guess thought that women shouldn't handle these pressures and these types of things. And so she's offended by it. And that was where the clip went. And I think about assumption. I think about prejudice. And, and, and the word prejudice is something that's, that's so heavy but this is what it means. Think about this. Prejudice means prejudge. It just means prejudge based on appearance or assumption or understanding, underestimating someone. So we prejudge something based on a look or our environment or what we think. And none of us are immune to it. If it's not racism, it's sexism. If it's not sexism, it's ageism. If it's not ageism, we do it with social status. If it's not that, it's political affiliation. If it's not that, it's ethnicity or our neighborhood origin. Or it could be hair color. How many of you remember the ginger jokes that were all over the place? Financial status. It could be your occupation, your education, your family name, your city that you were born in or you're from, or even your sports team. The list goes on and on and on. The ways that we judge people, the way that we assume things about other people. And as human beings, we filter information through labels and categories. And that's good because it helps us to understand what we're experiencing. But the downside to labels is that it brings assumptions. It brings stereotypes. It brings prejudices that can grow from within those categories. And it is often subtle. And it ends up being dangerous and hurtful because what ends up happening is we end up spending most of the time with people who are just like us. And so then you start to think that everybody else in the world is like you. Or that everybody else in the world should be like you. And then because we're not hanging around or don't know people who are different than us, what ends up happening is, is that we begin to think that they are different and we are on the right path. And I love this quote from another movie called Batman Begins where a mob boss says, you always fear what you don't understand. And I think about that. I think about people that I cross the street or I'm walking down the, the street with and I see someone who I don't know. My first thought goes to a bunch of things that are probably aren't right because I don't know them. I don't understand their situation. I don't get involved in things. And maybe you're in the boat with me. It's difficult for us to, to know, to, to treat people in a way that we would want to be treated when we don't understand them. And we naturally have these inclinations to judge people against the stereotypes 
that we are raised with. Fear, assumption, judgment, division, discrimination, all of them come from a lack of understanding and compassion. In Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus confronted with a situation that is very much like this. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 and 30. It's a very interesting passage. Let's read it together here. It says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. Tyre is what is modern-day Lebanon, okay? So just north of Israel, we have the Lebanese people. He entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know it because he wanted some time off, but he could not escape notice. You ever feel like that way with your kids? <laughs> he instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, which means not Jewish. Everybody else who wasn't Jewish was a Gentile. A Syrophoenician by birth, Lebanese, okay? And she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Let that sting for a second. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter, and when she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Now, this is a very interesting passage. It's a hard one to read because we're confused. It appears as though Jesus is, is actually reinforcing prejudice or racist types of thinking, right? That's what it seems like here. He just called this woman a dog. So, so this is a hard passage for us. And some scholars believe that the author's intent, it was just kind of pulling a switcheroo, right? So I did some research. Some scholars believe that Jesus was just pulling a switcheroo here and so that the author of this book, Mark, wanted to paint the picture that we're reading as a Jewish person and I'm just reading along and I see Jesus respond in a way that I would too. That's the idea, right? That the Jewish people at the time would have felt, yeah, Jesus, you're right. They're Gentiles. They're dogs. They don't deserve anything because that was the way it was. The Jewish people were commanded to not associate with anyone who was different than them. They were commanded to not touch anything, to eat certain animals that came from different places. And this is one of them. So, so a Jewish reader would read this going, that's right. Man, I don't agree with a lot of stuff that Jesus is doing, but this thing right here, I don't like hanging out with those people, right? And the author, some people, some scholars believe that the author was writing this, and then at the end, when Jesus flips it, they go, oh, man, Jesus, you did it again, right? Some people believe that. Other scholars believe a little bit more of a difficult and challenging space, which is that this illustrates the human nature running through Jesus' veins and even his tendency to, be, to revert to the experiences of his upbringing that he would have felt and that his divine nature is what overrode that line of thinking. And I recognize that that's difficult for some in the room to hear, and even for myself. I've grown up believing that Jesus is perfect, and, and, and I believe that he, that he is and was. But at the same time, you see a lot of moments where Jesus responded in ways that we don't understand. Jesus cried in the, in the garden before his crucifixion and begged his father to not have him take the crucifixion. That's a human moment, right? So is it possible that in this moment that Jesus was reverting to his own stereotypical environments growing up? Potentially, but here's the point of all of it. This is the point of what I would say to you. Regardless, the outcome is the same, which is really the point of the entire story. How does Jesus respond to the status quo when he's faced with cultural discrimination. In this story that we just read, and the one that follows after that we're not going to read, New Testament scholar Mitzi Minor writes that Mark gives us God's priorities and how Jesus reflected. Let's read this. It says, Jesus' actions illustrated that a worthless Gentile girl whose mind was devoured by a demon and a good-for-nothing deaf man who couldn't even speak clearly, which is in the next passage, were indeed children of God to be embraced 
and valued. Humanity's authentic response to God's initiative calls forth recognition that there are no external barriers between God and any human being, not race, class, ethnicity, gender, age, or physical condition. And consequently, there should also be no such barrier between human beings. I love that. So what do we learn from Jesus in this passage? What do we see from him that we must challenge the status quo and squash our assumptions? It's okay for us, every one of us, to come face to face with the things that make us uncomfortable. I mentioned to you uh, the past several years, I mentioned this last week, the past several years, I've come face to face with a lot of my own personal and inherent and even blind spots when it comes to discrimination or prejudice or potentially even racist thoughts. And at first you feel shame, you feel guilty because I don't want to be that kind of a person. I wasn't raised that way. But at the same time, I can't live there. You can't live there. You have to come face to face with whatever assumptions you believed about someone or about something or about a person. We're not just talking about the color of someone's skin. We're talking about their, their political affiliations. We're talking about the amount of money that they make, the type of job that they have. We're talking about all of these different things that, that when you feel something that rises up that doesn't match with the personality of Jesus, then that's an assumption that you have to come face to face with. You have to squash that. We must challenge the status quo and squash our assumptions. We are called to be people of relationship and of unity. We are called to seek understanding from those who are different than us, to know those who are different than us rather than to make judgments, to unite rather than to perpetuate division. In our last clip, we're going to see a powerful scene where Catherine has been subjected to ostracizing for far too long, and she finally speaks up about what it's like living the way that she does. And I want to give a caveat here, a disclaimer. This clip has a few curse words in it. And uh, I debated whether or not I should show it or not. It's minor. They're not, you know, like the heavy ones that everyone gets all up in a tizzy about. Um, but I felt like it was important because this clip is powerful. And I think it's going to pull everything together. So if, you know, this is your disclaimer. If you're uncomfortable, you're f feel free to see your way out for a moment. But uh, what we're going to see here in the clip as it finishes is a beautiful picture of setting things right, and it acts as a symbol for what we see in Scripture. Let's look, and we'll come back in a second. Ruth. Yes, sir. I need a cape on the line. Shepherd's trajectories need to be updated. Wow. Where is she? Have you been? Everywhere I look, you're not where I need you to be. It's not my imagination. Now, where the hell do you go every day? To the bathroom, sir. The bathroom. 
to the damn bathroom for 40 minutes a day? What are you doing there? We're T-minus zero here. I put a lot of faith in you. There's no bathroom for me here. What do you mean there's no bathroom for you there here? There is no bathroom. There are no colored bathrooms in this building or any building outside the West Campus, which is half a mile away. Did you know that? I have to walk to Timbuktu just to relieve myself. And I can't use one of the handy bikes. Picture that, Mr. Harrison. My uniform, skirt below my knees, my heels, and a simple string of pearls. Well, I don't own pearls. Lord knows you don't pay colors enough to afford pearls. And I work like a dog, day and night, living off a of coffee from a pot none of you want to touch. So, excuse me if I have to go to the restroom a few times a day. more white restrooms. Just plain old toilets. Go wherever you damn well please. Preferably closer to your desk. Here at NASA, we all pee the same color. So I mentioned a symbol at the end of the clip. What am I talking about? Well, in this clip, we see Kevin Costner's character taking a sledgehammer and knocking down the colored ladies' restroom sign and declaring that there isn't any division between people at NASA anymore and that we all pee the same color, he says. You know, and in Scripture, Jesus did the same thing when he died on the cross, and it has incredible implications for us today. I want you to read one last Scripture. Actually, I lied. Sorry, Jesus. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51. This is what it says. This is Jesus on the cross here. Jesus, again, gave a loud cry and breathed his last. And then the curtain hanging in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this is something subtle that you and I probably would overlook because we don't understand the culture. And even if we do understand the culture, it doesn't mean a lot to us. But to first century Jewish people, it meant everything to them. 
What am I talking about? In their temple, the section after the mall was the section where you would go into what was called the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain that separated where God's most precious item, the Ark of the Covenant, was held. And only one guy could go in there once a year. The high priest would go in there, and he would minister on this one particular day and, and would take care of things, and everybody else had to stay on the other side. You see the division here? Now, when Jesus dies on the cross, and it goes out of its way, by the way, to tell you that when Jesus breathed his last breath, that the curtain that separated God from people was separated and ripped in two. There is incredible symbolism there. Incredible symbolism that Jesus does not stand for division. That Jesus was not okay with discrimination or with any kind of, any kind of separating. He wanted unity. He wanted things to be together. The single moment translates to all of us today. It's what provides us the relationship that we have with God. The thing that we say that we can encounter God in real life is made possible because of that moment. So when we see in this clip where Kevin Costner takes a sledgehammer and tears down something that separated blacks from white, from women, from, from men, it's a symbol of what we see in Jesus dying on the cross. What he does is he separated the Jewish people and the Gentile and allowed them to come together. He broke down the walls. And now God can be known by every person, by all nations. And it's interesting that we read in the book of Acts and we see there was some argument and some fighting amongst Christians even then. You can see it everywhere. It is not just a new thing. This happened even with people who knew Jesus. In the book of Acts, you saw them arguing about whether or not this was just for Jews or it was for Gentiles. But they came together, and now we are here today because of what Jesus did, but because of their decisions to get past their discriminations, their prejudices, their assumptions, their status quo. They challenged all of it. Unity, tearing down lines. I'd like to finish today's message by reading a passage of Scripture from the book of James. This is Jesus' brother. And it's written in clear common English. It's a different translation, and I think it's an appropriate cap to the theme of the day if our worship team wants to come forward. James 2, 1 through 9 says this. My friends, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, you must never treat people in different ways according to their outward appearance. Suppose a rich man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes to your meeting, and a poor man in a ragged clothes also comes. If you show more respect to the well-dressed man and say to him, hey, have this best seat here, but say to the poor man, stand over there or sit here on the floor by my feet, then you are guilty of creating distinctions among yourselves and of making judgments based on evil motives. Listen, my dear friends, God chose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and to possess the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you dishonor the poor. Who are the ones who oppress you and drag you before the judge? The rich. They are the ones who speak evil of that good name which has been given to you. You will be doing the right thing if you obey the law of the kingdom which is found in the scripture. This is not the kingdom of America, not the kingdom of Rome or any other place. This is the kingdom of God. We are Christians. We are citizens of his kingdom, and we live under his law. And therefore, you will be doing the right thing if you obey the law of the kingdom, which is found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But listen to this. But if you treat people according to their outward appearance, you are guilty of sin, and the law condemns you as a lawbreaker. So my final thoughts for today are this. We are to be active people, not passive people. The gospel is active. The gospel is confrontative or confrontive, whichever way you like to say it. The gospel compels us to take an active approach to confronting sin and complacency. 
It compels us to come confront the status quo and to challenge our inherent assumptions. It compels us to work for unity and to actively break down the dividing lines wherever we see them. And I know that most of us think in terms of race and maybe gender, but we're talking about so many things, Republicans and Democrats. We're talking about refugees and immigrants. We're talking about where you live and the money that you make and the cars that you drive and the clothes that you wear and where you shop and the neighborhoods and all of these things. We are called to work for unity and to actively break down dividing lines. And I want to say this as we close today. As we move into a new building in a different part of town, in the middle of different neighborhoods, which are homes to many different types of people, let us allow the gospel of Christ to challenge our assumptions, to cause us to seek to understand those who are different than us, and to work towards one unified family of God's children. And I will tell you something, that if we do not do this, we will not reach the East End. God has given us a job. He's given us a mission to reach every person, not just those who are like us. And I, I just believe that in the, in the coming days, we're going to have people who look differently than some of us, who have different kinds of jobs, different upbringings, maybe even come from different nations, who are going to walk in the doors of our church at the Neighborhood Academy. And the way that we respond to them, the way that we welcome them, and not just the way, the outward sense, the way that we integrate them into our lives will determine whether or not we are worthy of the new space that we are given. I believe that with all my heart. And as your pastor, I'm trying to lead the way as best that I can here. I see Jesus sometimes challenged by his own assumptions, but overcoming them. I love that, that picture because that's what we're called to do. It's one thing to know that we have assumptions, we have prejudices, we have stereotypes. We all have them in some form or fashion. But I want to follow Jesus' footsteps in overcoming them to expand the gospel, the name of Jesus, to hope to people who maybe have never heard it, even from Christians, because of those dividing lines. Just stand with me and pray. We're going to respond together. Jesus, you are the ultimate example of what it is like to, to love people. It is so hard for us to know what is what is normal, what is natural, and the things that are assumptions that are wrong. I pray that you would shine light on us, that you would open our hearts. I'm not, I'm not trying to tell anybody how to think. What I want is for each one of us to open our hearts and allow your spirit to speak to us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to keep going. When it's hard, don't give up on relationships. When it's uncomfortable, keep pushing, keep knowing people, seek understanding other people who are different. God, I pray that you would bring people into our lives, that you would open our eyes to see those who are different than us, that we would become, that this church would be first and foremost a representation of your kingdom, so that we would feel comfortable when we go on our own to see people, that they would have the language to speak because we are a family of different races, of different ethnicities, of different social statuses, that this would be a place that is comfortable for all people from all walks of life because that's what you created. That's what you wanted. Lord, let us see ourselves as king, citizens of your kingdom first. We are citizens of heaven before we're Americans, before we're citizens of earth even. We give ourselves to you. We receive this word. It is a challenging, hard word for us. And when we fall short, we will repent. I repent of my sin in my life. And I ask that you would give me your grace. Give us your grace 
to reach this city. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing a chorus together in response and worship God before we close. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.